0: Good afternoon, my name is Henry Lai from Washington University in St. Louis. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the second opinion case on how to manage a 65 year old man with bothersome LUTs and underactive bladder. Today we have an international distinguished panel of experts who will be talking to us about the diagnosis and management of underactive bladder. Underactive bladder is a clinical syndrome characterized by symptoms suggestive of detusa underactivity. Patients commonly complain about low urine stream, hesitancy, and straining to urinate. They may or may not have a feeling of incomplete bladder emptying or dribbling, and often they have storage symptoms such as urinary frequency, nocturia, and urgency incontinence. Detrusor underactivity, on the other hand, is a urodynamic diagnosis. It's characterized by reduced strength and duration of bladder contractions, leading to prolonged and incomplete bladder emptying. Underactive bladder is difficult to diagnose because it shares overlapping symptoms of other LUTs conditions, such as bladder outer obstruction or overactive bladder. It is difficult to manage, and today we'll be talking about the diagnosis and management of underactive bladder in a 65-year-old man with bothersome LUTs and underactive bladder. Let me introduce my first speaker, Dr. Jason Gilleran from William Beaumont Hospital in Detroit. Jason will talk about the diagnosis of underactive bladder. So Jason, what's the workup for UAB?
1: Hi, everybody. Thanks, Thanks Henry. It's really honored to be part of the panel here. I'm going to talk a little bit about how do we diagnose and evaluate the patient who has underactive bladder. As you alluded to, underactive bladder is actually a symptom complex that's relatively new. And the idea of detrusor underactivity is not necessarily synonymous with underactive bladder. It suggests it, but it's not synonymous with it. The ICS definition, as you mentioned, is a contraction of reduced strength or duration with prolonged bladder emptying and a failure to achieve complete emptying within a normal time span. Contraction itself is, as we all know, is a function of the detrusor muscle and can only be determined by a pressure flow study. The underlying pathophysiology of our underactive bladder is not clearly clear, it's definitely multifactorial, and by no means it's a condition that implies or assumes that there is only an impaired dysfunction of the detrusor muscle. The symptoms can vary widely, but a key component we need to pay close attention to is the patient's perception of an abnormal flow with impaired emptying. Furthermore, the sensory component of this condition is likely just as important as the motor component, as most underactive bladder patients have an increased sensory threshold. Underactive bladder can be categorized by either a myogenic failure, which means there's a failure of the muscle due to either bladder wall fibrosis or vascular insufficiency. It can fail at the cellular level, where the myocytes themselves are unable to regulate calcium, or there's a mitochondrial disease. Also, it can be categorized as a neurologic dysfunction, either involving the peripheral nerves, the efferents and the afferents, and something such as diabetic neuropathy, or central nervous system dysfunction due to central nervous system trauma or a neurologic disease process. This is an important slide that demonstrates that underactive bladder, again, does not assume detrusor underactivity on urodynamics. As you can see, there is only limited overlap between UAB and detrusor underactivity. Also, you can see that detrusor underactivity and impaired contractility, which is a older definition for for a bladder uh, function, does not necessarily overlap very well. So what are the signs and symptoms and we're looking for in patients who have this condition? Well, in this study of of almost 1,800 people using very strict criteria to define detrusor underactivity bladder outlet obstruction, and normal pressure flow in men and women, we can see that the most common symptoms of decreased urinary stream, interrupted stream, hesitancy, incomplete emptying, and palpable bladder were both seen in men and women with detrusor underactivity compared to normals. Furthermore, the symptom of stress incontinence and enuresis, which is an uncommon symptom in patients, in adult patients, Uh, was much more commonly seen in those with detrusor underactivity compared to those with bladder outlet obstruction. This is a newer study from Japan that looked at 900 patients and again categorized patients with detrusor underactivity in about 50%. 50, The other half had detrusor underactivity, and there was also some overlap with bladder outlet obstruction. And the important thing to note is if you're asking men with this problem on an IPSS uh, questionnaire, you may notice that men with detrusor underactivity only are likely to have much lower urgency scores, they're likely to have reduced filling sensation, to be older, and to also have smaller volume prostates either on exam or on some imaging study. So if you're doing a pressure flow study, the the detrusor underactivity is is characterized by the bladder contractility index, which is calculated as the detrusor pressure at max flow, or Pdet Q max, plus five times the maximum flow and a definition of less than 100, 100 is classified as DU. Similarly, the bladder outlet obstruction index used in some of these studies was, was calculated as the PDAT-Qmax minus twice the Qmax value with a, with a number greater than 40 classified as bladder outlet obstruction. If you do not have pressure flow studies, Uroflow may be helpful in the, many of these patients, as those with underactive bladder can demonstrate a sawtooth pattern which is suggestive of straining, as you can see at the top pattern, an interrupted pattern on the bottom left, or a prolonged flow on the bottom right. So the urodynamic tracing that we're seeing here is looking at perhaps the classic urodynamic finding of in the detrusor underactivity of an acontractile bladder. In this case, the bladder capacity is elevated, but not markedly so, and sensation does not appear to be grossly impaired. So as you can see on the uh, in the, uh, on the low study, the patient is unable to mount any detruser contraction whatsoever. Must be careful to make sure that the patient is not inhibited during voiding, and this is a true um, attempted void. This is one of my own personal patients with detruser underactivity who had uh, a TURP with me approximately four years ago for a retention of two liters. He's been on intermittent catheterization since then. Interestingly, he just finished a stem cell injection trial that we're doing at Beaumont. And as you can see, he has a detrusor pressure that he's now able to mount after the injection of about 42 centimeters of water, but a flow of only one one ml per second, which calculates his BCI is only 47. Interestingly, on his prior urodynamics, he had only a straining pattern. And a very important piece of information is this gentleman still has a markedly enlarged prostate on imaging. These are two other video urodynamic studies that show an other other presentations and how underactive bladder can present. On the left, we see a slowly rising detrusor contraction with a poor urethral relaxation. Also, on the right, we can also we can see a normal voiding pressure, normal detrusor pressure, but again a very weak flow, and what appears to be maybe a tight bladder neck. We have two more tracings of video urodynamics where you can see a patient who has, again, a decreased detrusor pressure, an early termination with abdo- abdominal straining as you can see on the left pattern. And again, there is overlap where you can see detrusor overactivity in a patient during filling with impaired contractility during voiding. On all of these tracings, the BCI was calculated to be approximately 80. So if you're seeing a patient, unfortunately there is no validated questionnaire that exists Currently for this condition. However, the ICIQ UAB is in development and is being validated across multiple patient populations. It's a 31-item questionnaire with a zero to 10 scale and hopefully will be available for us in the near future. How does how beyond urodynamics, you can use cystoscopy. Most urologists would be comfortable with that. However, cystoscopy may not actually be. Uh, perfectly diagnostic because we don't really have a standard definition of what is, quote, visual obstruction. It's something that urologists like to say we know it when we see it. Postvoid residuals residuals, again, a very common piece of, inf- of uh, data we'll obtain in the office, but it's likely an unreliable indicator on its own. A recent study showed that bladder wall thickness on ultrasound combined with non-invasive flow can actually be highly predictive of detrusor underactivity, but again, this may not be Uh, easily available for everybody. And of course, in a man with 65 years old, prostate size is gonna be an important piece of information, but not necessarily just the volume, which can be categorized as small, less than 30 grams, 30 to 50, or more than 50 grams, but perhaps intravesical growth on the ultrasound, on a transrectal ultrasound, would be the most important piece of information to know. Thank you,
0: Dr. Lai, and I'll leave it to the next panelist. Good. Thank you, Jason. I want to introduce our second speaker, Dr. Everell Lociani from Virginia Mason Medical Center in Seattle. Everell, uh, so the patient has symptomatic LUTs and doesn't want to do CIC, are there any pharmacologic treatment options for UAB?
2: Well, Dr. Lai, thank you very much. And thank you very much for the organization committee for inviting me to be part of this panel. So, when we think about pharmacotherapy, the different goals that we can think about. First of all, of course, we want to improve the quality of life of patients and improve their lower urinary tract symptoms. But at the same time, we want to prevent complications. Such complications could be recurrent urinary tract infections, bladder stones, hypertract deterioration. When we think about pharmacotherapy, there are two main ways or pathways in which we can uh, potentially help. One will be by increasing the trusor contractility, and this could certainly be done with a muscarinic receptor agonist, such as Botanical or Carbacol. Or we can work by decreasing the bladder outlet resistance, and this could be done as well with an alpha blocker, a 5-alpha redoxys inhibitor, or a PDE5 inhibitor. So how about increasing the trusor contractility? The most common agent for this are usually muscarinic agonists, such as botanical or carbocal. Unfortunately, there are minimal studies looking at clinical efficacy. Most studies compared these agents with placebo or alpha blockers. And in order to achieve high efficacy, we need higher doses. And the problem with that is then you risk for uh, side effects. Common side effects with these agents include nausea, vomiting diarrhea, or GI upset, sweating, headache, or even cardiac arrest. What other agents have been looked at? Well, cholinesterase inhibitors have been looked at, such as dystigmin and neostigmine. A study back in 2016 by Sugaya actually looked at uh, a combination of distigmine with alpha blockers, and it showed that combination of these agents may improve IPSS score and decrease post-boreal residual. How about the other side? What can we do for decreasing bladder alder resistance? First, the use of alpha blockers uh, is supported by the fact that prolonged bladder alder obstruction could be potentially the cause of underactive bladder. And as we learned from um, Dr. Gilleran, a patient with underactive bladder can actually have undiagnosed bladder outlet obstruction. Unfortunately, the efficacy of alpha blockers have not been clearly demonstrated in patients with underactive bladder, however, it could still be considered as an acceptable initial therapy. A study by Chang back in 2008 looked at women with voiding difficulty presumed to have underactive bladder, and they looked at they treated them with tamsulosin at 0.2 milligrams, and it showed significant improvement in the maximum flow by an average of 30 percent. How about other agents such as 5-alpha redactase inhibitors and oral PD-5 inhibitors? Unfortunately, there's no clear studies on these agents in patients with underactive bladder. However, we can certainly extrapolate the data in management of patients with bladder structure. How about combination therapy? <clears throat> in general, uh, various studies have shown that combination therapy is better than a single agent. The most well-known of these studies was by jaminishi back in 2004, where he actually looked at the use of bethanacol versus urepetal versus combination of both medications in patients with underactive bladder for four weeks. They demonstrated that IPSS significantly improved in the urepetal group as well as the combination group. However, the flow rate only significantly improved in the combination group. So, in general, a combination is better than a single agent. However, it is important to note that there are other studies out there looking at a combination of an um, agent to increase bladder contractility and an agent to reduce bladder obstruction, such as a study by Berger in 1997 and a combination of carbacol and alfuzosin that actually showed no efficacy. However, it's important to note that this was on postal patients who underwent major open surgery. So what are the take-home messages as far as pharmacotherapy? First, again, the goal is to improve symptoms. If possible, avoid self-catheterization, and to definitely try to delay or prevent development of complications. I think it's very reasonable to start management in someone who we think may have that or other obstruction as well with an alpha blocker. And if they don't respond to an alpha blocker, I think you can give consideration to a cholinergic agonist However, we have to be aware of side effects. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Everol. I want to introduce our speaker, Dr. Kyu Sung Lee from Samson Medical Center from Zhou, Korea. Dr. Lee is going to talk about surgical management of underactive bladder. Dr. Lee, let's assume that the patient has failed pharmacologic therapy and he has a large 60-gram prostate what are the surgical treatment options? Would BPX surgery be beneficial? Uh,
3: If the patient have a a urodynamically proven bladder outlet obstruction uh, or have the big prostate or anatomical uh, obstruction on urethroscopy, that patient can be the candidate for the surgery of the bladder outlet uh, obstruction the underactive bladder and bladder outlet obstruction are the major cause for the male loss and in may or may not coexist uh, some patients uh, with underactive bladder have an un- unfavorable outcome after prostate surgery therefore differentiation uh, between underactive bladder and the bladder outlet obstruction is important for the prediction of the outcome of prostate surgery and it is possible uh, by pressure flow study The ICS nomogram can differentiate uh, voiding function by obstruction index and contractility index. The composite nomogram can categorize the large patient into nine groups according to three obstruction categories and three categories of the bladder contractility. Group seven, eight, nine has obstruction and group three, six, nine has weak contractility. Therefore, group 9 has the underactive bladder with obstruction, and group 3 has underactive bladder without obstruction. One potential problem for the diagnosis of the bladder on obstruction in underactive bladder patients is that uh, decreased contractility of detrusor uh, may induce false negative diagnosis of the bladder on obstruction. The diagnosis of the bladder on obstruction is established uh, with the synchronous elevation of the detrusive pressure uh, with low flow rate uh, during pressure flow study. Uh, if detrusive pressure cannot be increased against obstruction because of the underactive bladder, that patient can be diagnosed as a non-obstruction even they have obstruction. In this case, BPH surgery can be effective because it reduced the blood resistance that was not recognized by the pressure flow study. The Hannover-Mestreet nomogram, uh, calculated by blood obstruction index and Watt factor, can simultaneously diagnose uh, detrusive contractility and the blood resistance. They observed that detrusive contractility increased with rising obstruction grade Therefore, threshold value for the diagnosis of uh, underactive bladder have to be adjusted to the obstruction grade. Also, they found that 25th percentile line indicates the threshold for uh, underactive bladder. This nomogram can diagnose underactive bladder in all patients with different obstruction grade the nomogram has the potential to predict treatment outcome in men with large. If prosthetic surgery is done correctly, the operation should decrease bladder arm resistance, but should not have any effect on bladder contractility. But decrease of the obstruction grade uh, resulted uh, in relative increase of the contractility uh, percentile. Figure A patient with underactive bladder without obstruction uh, will most likely not uh, profit from prosthetic surgery. A patient with underactive bladder and bladder obstruction will only improve his voiding function uh, if the contractility uh, move above the uh, 25th percentile after the surgery, like the figure C. However, uh, if the detrusor contractility remains in the area less than uh, 25th percentile after the surgery, he will most likely uh, not improve his voiding function uh, as figure D. About 30% uh, of patients resulted in uh, insufficient improvement of large after BPH surgery, and the underactive bladder component is uh, considered as the cause of the surgical uh, failure. Clinical results after the BPH surgery in underactive bladder patients are different by studies. Uh, Thomas assessed the long-term outcome of the efficacy of TURF in men uh, with underactive bladder. There are no uh, long-term symptomatic or urodynamic gain uh, uh, from the TURF in men shown to have the underactive bladder. Other study uh, showed favorable results after the BPH surgery in underactive bladder patients. Tanaka investigated whether the preoperative degree of obstruction and underactive bladder affected the short-term outcome of the TURF. The percentage of the patients with excellent and good uh, overall treatment efficacy of TURF according to the combination of the preoperative urodynamic findings showed that Underactive bladder uh, may not be a contraindication uh, for TURF. Efficacy was higher as the preoperative degree of bladder outlet obstruction worsened. In contrast, underactive bladder did not significantly uh, reduce the outcome of the TURF. Also, I evaluated the effect of the TURF in men with weak bladder contractility. Patient with bladder outlet obstruction and or uh, good contractility shows better improvement and more satisfied after the TURF compared to patients with underactive bladder without uh, bladder outlet obstruction. Uh, but also there was a significant uh, improvement in IPSS, QR, and PVR after TURF in patients with weak uh, bladder contractility, and more than 60% were satisfied with the result of the surgery. Then, who would be a good candidate for the bladder outlet obstruction procedure uh, in underactive bladder patient? Best candidate is the patient with bladder outlet obstruction on uh, pressure flow study. But uh, if there is no obstruction uh, on neurodynamic study, patient with big prostate or obstruction sign on urethroscopy uh, may be a uh, candidate uh, for the surgery. In conclusion. Uh, Although BPH surgery is the treatment of the bladder outlet obstruction, it may also be effective in selective patients with underactive bladder. Uh, and the underactive bladder component of the may large, often decrease the effect of the BPH surgery. Therefore, careful assessment of the voiding dysfunction to discriminate between detrusor underactivity and uh, obstruction should be done uh, with the pressure flow studies. It can avoid unsuccessful prosthetic surgery and help in counseling patients. Thank you for the attention. Thank you,
0: Dr. Li. I'm going to introduce our last speaker, Dr. Toby Chai, who is the chief of URG at Boston University Medical Center in Boston. Dr. Chai, let's assume the patient has a small 35-gram prostate. Would neomodulation be helpful in this patient?
4: Thank you, Dr. Lai. It's a pleasure to be on this panel with the other distinguished panelists. My position here is that sacral neuromodulation is an indication for this particular patient with underactive bladder. Sacral neuromodulation has an FDA-approved indication, including non-obstructive urinary retention and overactive bladder. Sacral neuromodulation can be considered in UAB patients with either a smaller prostate, such as this gentleman, or someone who's already had a prostate-outlet-reducing operation who have persistent lower-urinary tract symptoms. I'm going to touch briefly on this condition called detrusor hyperreflexia with impaired contractility. This was described some years ago by Neil Resnick at Pittsburgh. And certainly, DHIC has both a form of overactivity of the bladder as well as underactivity, Uh, and sacral neuromodulation has been used for this particular diagnosis. In this paper, in Neurourology and Neurodynamics from 2016, these investigators treated 20 patients with DHIC. These patients were about 68 years old. Yes, there were some women, but there were men as well. Their baseline BCI, which is the bladder contractility index, is 63, which is, again, at the underactive side. Their voided volume medium was a 150 with a PVR median of 175, and they were symptomatic. And what these investigators found was that 14 patients responded, of which 11 went on to the full sacral neuromodulation implantation. The other indication for sacral neuromodulation is non-obstructive urinary retention. Now, is this condition the same or along the same spectrum of underactive bladder, or is it a different condition altogether? We don't really know. I also wanna bring up the terminology, incomplete emptying is different versus a complete urinary retention. Incomplete emptying implies a man could possibly still be voiding, but not completely, whereas complete urinary retention is a patient who's not voiding. I think the other important consideration is Just because a man has incomplete voiding or incomplete emptying, he may not be symptomatic. So you have to differentiate whether the patient's symptomatic or asymptomatic. I believe the goal in treatment with sacral neuromodulation and UAB should be relief of the lower urinary tract symptoms and not necessarily just looking at reducing the post-void residual uh, volume number. Uh, These investigators in the Netherlands uh, looked at a urodynamic um, nonogram of their patient population to see which urodynamic parameters could predict uh, response with sacral neuromodulation in patient with impaired bladder emptying. What they did was they took hundreds of their patients who had urodynamics and created this nonogram on the x-axis, you see BOOI, the Bladder Outlet Obstruction Index, on the y-axis, You have the work of the bladder and they they came up with percentiles of this maastricht Hanover nonogram from the 10th percentile, which is very low, to the 90th percentile. And what this paper found is patients who had um, poor response to sacral neuromodulation were those below the 25th percentile on their nonogram. Now, how does sacral neuromodulation work for underactive bladder? i'm putting up this slide which isn't really on underactive bladder but to um, challenge our thinking in that the sacral neuromodulation may be working all the way up to the level of the brain rose kavari and her group in houston has been looking at brain areas that are activated in women with ms who have voiding problems urinary hesitancy and slow flow and they found certain areas of the brain that are associated with these bladder emptying symptoms, and that could give us a window into understanding underactive bladder. Certainly, I think bladder outlet obstruction in of itself may cause a secondary problem in brain control of the bladder. These are two preclinical papers from one is Bill Steers when he worked with Chet Grote, that looked at bladder outlet obstruction causing a Micturition reflex pathway that was shortened in the rat. And the second paper is from Rita Valentino and Steve Zederick at Penn, looking at uh, the impact. They call it overactive bladder, but it is a animal model created by obstructing bladder outlet to create overactive bladder that led to brain-induced problems in bladder control. So just because you have bladder outlet obstruction, the problem may not just be down in the bladder outlet, it may also rise to the brain.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Toby. I want to take this moment to bring home our take home message in this slide. In summary, your re- remains the mainstay tool to evaluate underactive bladder since it provides useful information on both the bladder and the outlet and can guide treatment decisions. Cystoscopy, PVR, and assessment of prostate oh, wow. device can provide additional diagnostic information. In patients who have bladder outlet obstruction, alpha blocker certainly can be started. However, in patients with underactive bladder, baphenicole or PDE5 inhibitors can be considered. However, the evidence supporting the use is weak and one needs to be aware of the side effects. In terms of BPH surgery, you could certainly consider it in patients who has bladder outlet obstruction. However, in patients with no bladder outlet obstruction or undiagnosed bladder outlet obstruction, but present with a large prostate or anatomically obstructing prostate on cystoscopy, you can consider BPH surgery also. Sacral neuromodulation can be considered in patients who has failed medical therapy or who has failed BPA surgery with persistent LUTs. I want to thank you all for the presentation from the speakers, and I want to thank you all for the attention for attending this AUA virtual meeting. Have a good evening.